One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another edition of the Work-Life Balance. So excited to have you guys along. Uh, it's been uh, it's been a great week. Uh, I've gotten a chance to obviously to, to, to spend the whole week at home, which is rare if you, if you guys listen to us uh, often. Uh, but uh, had a really cool uh, event happen uh, this morning. So we did a, uh, a show a couple of weeks ago talking about uh, the one of the latest certifications I uh, achieved, which was GPS, Global Priority Solutions. And it's the Art of Roundtables, and we announced the Transform Birmingham initiative that we're doing. Uh, as one of those, the crazy story to me, though, is I, I'm in the middle of Amish country. I'm in Berlin, Ohio, going through this training. And in the pad folio that they gave us for training, there's a pen inside of it. And the pen is from a company called Aerotech, which hasn't existed for, for almost 20 years now, uh, but was my first professional job. And what it made me think of was uh, a group of, of guys that I know here in town, and we are, we're all successful in our own right. We all have our own businesses. We're all doing well, or at least we're, you know, some of them are executives and into some companies as well. Um, but we all got our start at Aerotech. That's how we know each other. And so that led me to kind of thinking, hey, this is, this is the, the universe calling out to me uh, that I need to get this group of guys together. And it turns out I've been kind of the hub for most of them. So I've kept in touch with all of them, but they, they ne- not necessarily kept in touch with each other. So um, we started our first roundtable this morning uh, together. And uh, it was just, it, it was fascinating. We hadn't been in the same room together like that in, in probably almost 30 years now. Uh, so it was fantastic to uh, to have that fellowship with them, and they, and they know who they are, and uh, it's something that we're going to kick off and do every Friday morning now. So really looking forward to that, but really good way to start today. I've I've really been on a high all day today, uh, and just gotten a lot of stuff done um, riding that wave. So uh, we're going to be here this week. We're here uh, next week, and then of course. Uh, we'll be in Orlando for the John Maxwell uh, International Maxwell Certification. So for those of you that are Maxwellites with me, uh, we'll be seeing you guys in Orlando coming up here in a couple of weeks. So excited. I actually leave a, a week from Wednesday. So super excited for that event twice a year. Uh, and as always, we'll do a recap of the event on the radio show on the Friday that I return. So let's get into today's show. This gentleman I met uh, through my next certification that I'm going after Um which is, uh, you know, I went to uh, Power Persuasion Workshop, and I did a show about uh, that training with, with Dr. Cialdini. Uh, and I met this gentleman there. He's actually the Chief Influence Officer at Influence People, which is a, a dynamic international um, training organization, which he's a, a, a keynote speaker, a trainer, coach, consultant. And he specializes in applying the science of influence and persuasion in everyday situations. He's one of only 20 individuals in the world who currently holds the Cialdini Method Certified Trainer designation. This specialization in the psychology of persuasion was earned directly from Dr. Cialdini, who is the most cited living social psychologist in the world on the science of ethical persuasion. Brian is one of only also a handful of people certified to lead the Moment Maker Workshop, which is based on Dr. Cialdini's New York Times bestselling book, Presuasion. He also has a blog, uh, which has readers in 200 countries. He's authored four different LinkedIn uh, learning courses. And his first book, Influence People, Powerful Everyday Opportunities to, to Persuade That Are Lasting and Ethical, comes out this month. So we'd like to welcome him to the show. Brian, how are you doing, sir? I am doing great, Rick. Thank you uh, for having me on. I appreciate it. And if you could, just uh, talk a little bit about your career. What led you to Dr. Cialdini, and, and how did you get into this uh, business? Okay, well, that, that's, that's actually a really interesting story, uh, and it's a great platform to talk about how important ethics in persuasion are for me. Um, when I was working for an insurance company here in Columbus, Ohio, uh, back in, I think it was like 2001, so it's a long time ago, a coworker who was studying for her master's at Ohio State came down and gave a video to my boss and I, and it was Robert Cialdini presenting at Stanford. And I watched the video and the light bulb came on. It's like, holy cow, what he is talking about, this psychology underlies all of the sales training that we do. So I was intrigued for that. 
Um, I also appreciated the science behind it. I'm a pretty analytical person. When there was empirical data, I thought, I can get behind this. And then the moral part of me appreciated the stance on ethics. He was very clear about non-manipulative ways to get people to change their behavior. So I started to use that video in some training around the country. I'd take it. I'd show it to uh, some of the people in our offices. We'd talk about the concepts. And in the meantime, I signed up for some of Stanford's marketing. They had a lot of other great videos that came under the heading of breakfast briefings. Well, one day, one of their marketing flyers comes across my desk, and I'm flipping through it, and I see Cialdini's picture, and in bold letters, right across the top, it says, bestseller. And right underneath it, in bold letters, it said, call it influence, persuasion, or even manipulation. And I thought, oh my gosh, I can't believe they actually used that word. Because he's so clear in that video about non-manipulative ways. Now, even if a copywriter didn't watch the video, I don't think anyone would, would really think that word could help sales. So I sent an email to Stanford, and I basically said this, Rick. I, I said in the email, I don't know anybody who wants to be manipulated, and I don't know anybody who wants to be known as a good manipulator. That one word cannot be helping your sales but it really could be hurting. Well, I never heard from Stanford, but sometime later, my phone rang at work, and it was a representative from Robert Cialdini's office, Influence at Work, and she said, I'm calling on behalf of Dr. Cialdini. He wants me to personally thank you because you sent an email to Stanford. They're changing the marketing of our video. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. And we had this nice conversation, and she said, you know, if your company ever needs a guest speaker, Dr. Cialdini travels around the world and speaks on this, and I said... I sit next to the woman who books our speakers. Would you like to talk to her? And as fate would have it, in summer of 2004, he was in Columbus, Ohio a couple of times and addressed the insurance agents that represented our company. And it was during that period when I went out to Arizona and I went through the workshop that, that where I met you. I went through that workshop and was so intrigued by it that I told my boss, I want to get certified to teach this because we can use it internally for our leaders and our managers, and we can go external, and, and I can turn this into a sales training offering for our agents. And it took me a while to persuade them, but three years later, I finally got the okay, and I went back out to Arizona. I went through the, the, the certification process, and that was in early 2008. So I'm in my 12th year of being associated with uh, Dr. Cialdini and, and Influence at Work and doing some training uh, things on, on their behalf. And it led me into my full-time career now because I left my corporate job last year and I do my, my work through influence people full-time. Good for you. And, you know, I was, I was led to Dr. Cialdini as well. I, uh, I had started, first of all, I come from, you know, John Maxwell and, and part of that John Maxwell team and, and one of his famous quotes is leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. Well, as a project manager for 20 years, the only thing I've been able to rely on is influence. Those people don't report to me. It's not my budget. You know, it wasn't even my idea. The only thing I can really do is influence people to want to get the work done at a specific time. And so I started to play with an influence quotient, right? I was like, there's got to be a way in which we can measure influence and see what's happening. Well, as I searched, as I do everything, anytime I have an idea, I go, does anybody else have this idea already, right? Searched uh, Google under influence uh, quotient, influence at work popped up from, from Dr. Cialdini. Well, we had him booked to come speak to the John Maxwell team um, the, at the, the very next IMC. So it was about two or three months away from when I did this. And I said, well, then I'm going to go listen to him. And, and if I dig what he says, then I'm all in. And so the rest is history. That's where I met you then, you know, when I came out for training earlier this year. And I go for my certification in December. Uh, there's a couple of us coming back to, to go after this. So, I mean, it's, it's applicable anywhere, right? As you talk about influence um, and persuasion, which, which I think is a fantastic book. And so what you've done now then is take an acronym of people, right? Influence people. But people's capitalized. So, so go you know, really quickly, go ahead and share the acronym where you came up with that, and then we can dive into to what it really means. So I always say that when, when I talk about influence, influence is all about people because we can't persuade things. And when I talk about people, that's where I came up with the idea, well, this is powerful, everyday opportunities to persuade that are lasting and ethical. And, um, and so that's really my framework when I go out and I talk about this. And I certainly share uh, Dr. Cialdini's principles. We pull in the science and everything. But, 
but that's kind of my take on it because it is. It's all about interacting with people, and, and I believe that anytime we interact with people at, at, the, at the floor, the base of that is psychology. It all comes down to psychology when you're interacting with another human being. And so let's jump into uh, his ethical side. We'll get your, your definition and in, in how you're using ethical through your book. But his ethical side really coming around from once you understand the principles, you can use them either way. But he's got kind of a checklist uh, of um, whether or not it truly is ethical. Is that, is that something you have on recall? Yeah. When we talk about is something ethical, there's really three things that we focus on. Now, I, I always acknowledge to people, I, I know books are written on ethics. Entire college courses are taught on ethics. But when you're interacting with an employee or you're in a sales situation, you need something that you can get your hands around quickly to know, am I, am I on the right course here? So when we talk about what is ethical, first thing we focus on is the situation I'm creating, to use Stephen Covey's term, a win-win. Is what I am offering or proposing to that other person good for them, not just good for me? Uh, if it is, then the next question that we're also looking at is, is what I'm telling this person truthful? So there's no lying by omission or commission, right? We don't hide the, the truth and think like you're selling your home. Boy, I hope they don't ask about the crack in the basement. We don't talk about that. In fact, what you, or excuse me, we, we talk about it because what you learn through influence is you can even bring shortcomings in your offering to the forefront and actually turn them into strengths in some ways. So you don't have to hide something. So we're honest. We're looking for win-win. And the third thing that we focus on is, are we using these psychological concepts, these principles of influence, are we using them in ways that are genuine or natural to the situation? And an example of that might be most people understand that when something's in short supply, they feel more prompted to want to take action. We see this in advertising all the time. That's called the principle of scarcity. But I bet every one of your listeners has at least one time or another experienced something like this. Somebody comes to your home to sell you something. It could be gutters, siding, roofing, something like that. And they tell you this, if you sign today, I can save you 15%. But if I have to come back at another day, I can't give you that discount. And that's manipulation because the reality is there's nothing scarce there. They're going to go meet with 10 other customers tomorrow. And if you called them up and guaranteed a sale, I'm sure they'd come flying back to your home because those are tough sales to make. So that's dishonestly importing or using a principle that's not naturally available in that situation. There's not something that's truly scarce. So that's really the, the framework that we talk about. Is it win-win? Am I being honest? Am I using the principles in, in ways that are natural to the situations I find myself in? Yeah, I love the fact that you referenced, you know, ethics in, in college, teaching ethics. And I think one of my favorite uh, moments in, in meeting with John uh, Maxwell, he said, uh, that he was offered to to write a book. This is during the Enron crisis, all that stuff going on. Um, and they said, would you write a book on business ethics? It would be awesome. You know, you could, you know, that we know it'll be a top seller. It's what we need right now. And, and he said, you know, I'm sorry, I can't. And they were like, what? What are you talking about? He goes, because there's no such thing as business ethics. You either have ethics or you don't. It's not a switch mm-hmm. that you throw when you leave the office. And I just... That has always stuck with me. So we're going to get into the acronym of people, which is powerful everyday opportunities to persuade that are lasting and ethical. Uh, but we're going to take a quick break right here. We're going to let some commercial play, and we'll be right back on the Work-Life Bounce. You're listening to Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? 
In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon. So excited to have you guys along. And we're excited to have Brian Ahern with us, who uh, through working with Dr. Cialdini then was was really inspired uh, to continue this work and, and to, uh, to put his spin on that and, and create an organization which he's the chief influence officer for Influence People. And people being an acronym, uh, Brian, that you came up with, um, really kind of to, to describe this, this influence and ethical behavior. Is that correct? Yes, it is. I wish I could remember the exact day that I came up with. <laughs> I don't any, any longer. But, uh, but, yeah, it was something that just naturally, I don't know, it, it came to me one day. And we we call that divine in- intervention. Listening to that inner voice for sure. So um, <laughs> yeah, right. So let's talk about the acronym itself. So P and people st- stands for powerful. So um, why is it that powerful is even the first word, or why do you even share powerful? Uh, what we talk about when we're talking about influence within the context of like Dr. Cialdini's work and and other social psychologists, behavioral economists, and now more recently neuroscientists is that it's based on empirical data. This isn't somebody's good advice. This isn't me just sharing with you what worked for me because, frankly, there are times where people have success in spite of themselves. And I think, Rick, you having gone through the workshop and and really understanding more deeply now and and the further you go, you'll be able to look out on the landscape and say, you know, that person, despite their success, could be doing even better if they understood what the psychology had to say and they actually were utilizing it. So, so this isn't somebody's good advice. It's backed by research. And the research shows that sometimes you can see amazing changes in how people respond with sometimes very small changes in how you communicate with them. Yeah, it, it, I, I had found once I went through the workshop that I'd stumbled into successes, meaning I, I, I tried something, it worked, and I kept doing it, but I didn't understand the psychology behind it. There were several of those aha moments uh, that, that really hit me while I was going through that training. So the, the data itself, I think, too, was, was the, um, the crown jewel of why I went after this is, is being able to cite the studies and understand um, how these principles work. Was there, was there anyone that, like, specifically jumped out at you that you, you – uh, He's one of those that you'll never forget. Well, I think shortly after learning about the principle of scarcity, and again, I understood that when things are in short supply, uh, people are going to be more motivated to take advantage of that, but wasn't strategically thinking about how to use that. And so with the insurance company that I used to work for, one of the ways that we implemented that, we took a look at some marketing that we were doing to prospective agents. So a field person might have contact with, a, with an insurance agent. They think they'd be a good fit. They'd put their information into a database. And then on a quarterly basis, we would market to them. When we, under, when we learned about scarcity, we decided to incorporate an additional paragraph in an email that was going out at the end of the third quarter. So you might have gotten that email, Rick, and it would say at the very bottom, Rick, part of the reason that I'm contacting you today is to let you know we're only looking to appoint 50 agents in our 30 operating states this year. As of the end of the third quarter, we've appointed 40. We hope you're one of the remaining few we appoint before the end of the year. And when we sent that out, my boss came over to me. He was the vice president of sales. He comes over to me within about an hour and he said, I can't believe it. I said, what? He said, I've already had eight agents 
contact me today by either phone or email. And he said, I have never had any agents contact me within an hour of sending that email. And we knew the only difference was we incorporated that scarcity. Appointing 50 agents is not a lot, especially for 30 states. There's only 10 slots potentially left. All of a sudden, it started changing their behavior. And that was a a big aha moment because you can start looking around and see all of those types of uh, opportunities out there for you to engage people, to get them to start doing things a little bit differently. And so that's a, I, I think that's a great, you know, story, great example of, of not only, you know, scarcity, but uh, ethical scarcity. And the fact that you weren't really trying to appoint a hundred agents that, that you were going to cap it out at 50. Um, yep. So you also say then this is an everyday skill, right? So the E in people is every day. So why, why is this an everyday skill? Well, uh, I like to say from womb to tomb, human beings are trying to get their needs met. A baby comes, comes out of the womb and, and he or she cries and we, we need to figure out is it uh, because they're hungry or they need to be burped or held or changed or something, right? They, they can't verbalize what that is, but they know they have a need and they're doing something to try to meet it. As, as we continue to grow, we start finding out what meets our needs and what doesn't. Some people learn very socially acceptable ways of getting their needs met. Others don't. But now we can turn around and look at the science. So that goes back to the powerful part. But this is an everyday skill. And I also like to say this. When I, when I open up a talk, I will generally ask the audience, how many of you would agree with the following statement, that much of your professional success and your personal happiness depends on getting people to say yes to you? And every hand goes up. Because people know at the office, it's critical for them to be able to get people to say yes to them. But they also start thinking like, hmm, when I go home, it's pretty darn important when my kids, my spouse, significant other, neighbors, when those people more willingly say yes to me, there tends to be a lot less friction and more happiness. So whether you're at work or you're at home, you're utilizing this skill. So it's really an everyday skill. And so what is – how do you measure that though, right? Is it, is it something that – is now ingrained in just the way you communicate or is it something that you think through on an everyday basis? Does that make sense? I think it's, I mean, I've been doing this now for so long and teaching it that it's pretty ingrained. I used to have people uh, at the company I worked for, they would email me or they'd say something like, I know what you're doing. And sometimes I'd legitimately go, okay, tell me because I hadn't consciously thought of it. And then they'd point something out and I go, you know what? You're exactly right. And so it had become such a part of me that it was really in my subconscious. There are certain words and phrases and ways that I do things now that I don't have to forwardly think about because they're just part of who I am. But you have to, you have to learn that first, just like you had to learn your ABCs or math, and, and then you have to practice. And then all of a sudden, math, for example, it becomes easy for us to do addition in our head or multiplication because we've done it so long. And so... I think that that opportunity is there for anybody. And you had stated too that an average American worker spends more than three hours a day trying to influence people. Talk about that. Right. Well, that's according to uh, a survey that Dan Pink, uh, he wrote the book to sell as human. And he cited a study of more than 7,000 American business workers who were asked the question, how much of your day do you spend trying to influence, persuade, or convince people in ways that are not related to making a sale. So these non-sales people came back and the average was 40%. So you do the math, 40% of an eight-hour day is more than three hours every day. The typical worker says they're using the skill of influence. And so, again, I I go back to when I talk to audiences, I've already established with them they need it at home and they need it at work. But I say, you know, if you're going to use this skill, if it's critical to your professional success and your personal happiness and you're using it more than three hours a day, doesn't it make sense to start learning how to do it well? Because that'll only increase that, that success at the office and, and that happiness at home. And so what are the opportunities that, that people might be missing when, when it comes to influence? Okay. Well, when you don't understand the language of influence and the process, you're going to miss it. And, and I like to use this example. I ask people, have you bought a new car recently? And hands always go up. And then I'll ask them, wasn't it the case that 
after you drove your car off the lot, you began to see it everywhere. It's as if everybody went out and bought your car. You're, you're seeing it on the highway and on the back streets and on your street. It's like, wow, how did I miss that before? Now, the reality was everybody didn't go out and buy their car. Their eyes were open to something that had been there all along. And when people begin to learn these principles of influence, they're amazed at how all of a sudden they recognize how the salesperson's trying to get them to buy or the marketer's trying to get them to go to the store or the politician is trying to get them to vote for them. It becomes very clear in the same way that they started to see their car on the road. And once they start to see that, they also begin to see opportunities they may have missed in the past, just like we did at my former company. We did, you know, we had, every year we had goals for the number of agents that we appointed, and we never thought to incorporate that into some of our marketing pieces. But then we started, because we understood the language and we began to see the opportunities, we could be very strategic about how we were going to use the psychology to move the ball forward in terms of the business goals. And so O then stands for opportunities in your people model. Yes. And, and most of those opportunities, too, for your listeners, happen at the subconscious level. I mean, the human brain is fascinating in that we learn things, we relegate it to the subconscious so we don't have to critically think about it and spend precious calories. We can almost operate on autopilot. I mean, most of your listeners probably drive to work and shake their head sometimes and don't remember anything about the drive because they've done it so much that it's just second nature. And so it is with these principles. These principles operate quite often at the subconscious level because over the course of human history, people have found that generally responding to scarce opportunities is a good thing. Listening to experts usually works out well. Um, Reciprocating to someone who has helped you forms a bond and a friendship. So, we almost don't even have to forwardly think about these things. and therefore, But the downside is because we don't think about them, sometimes we miss the opportunities. And that leads to my, my favorite Carl Jung quote, where until you bring the subconscious conscious, it'll rule your life and you will call it fate. Love that quote. Exactly. Yep. So we're going to take a pause right here. We've done the P, E, and O of people. When we get back, we're going to do the P, L, E, and uh, continue our conversation with Brian Ahern, Chief Influence Officer at Influence People. You're listening to Rick Morris and the Work-Life Balance. We're going to take a break right here. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon, visiting with Brian Ahern. He's uh, he's a... Uh, yeah, it is Ahern, but uh, I saw a typo, so I thought I'd been saying your name the the, the wrong way the whole time, Brian. It, it is Ahern, correct? It is Ahern. You've got the right. 
Perfect. Perfect. If you let me go that long and say it that many times, uh, then then that would have been uh, influence in the wrong direction to me. <laughs> but <laughs> um, so we're we're going through your acronym of, of people, and we we finished the PEO. If you're just joining us now, you're going to want to go back and hear those the powerful everyday opportunities. Uh, but now we're going to get into the P, L, and E of the acronym. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of different definitions of influence and, and certainly persuasion. Um, we get inundated with ads, you know, Facebook ads and all this stuff, and everybody thinks that they have this magic formula. But what what exactly does it mean to to persuade? The, the P and P, L, E is persuade. Um, so what does it mean to persuade in your eyes? So when I ask people to give me their layman's definition of persuasion, what I hear most often is either to convince somebody of something or to change somebody's thinking on an issue. And I think that might be a good start, but it's not nearly enough. So the example that I would put out is for your, for your listeners, if you were to say to your child, clean your room, do you want them to A, say mom or dad, that's a good idea, or B, get in there and really clean their room? I think we want B, right? We, we want them to change their behavior. We want them to get off the couch and go clean their room. And so I really look at persuasion as behavior change. And I fall back on Aristotle's definition. Aristotle said persuasion was the art of getting someone to do something that they would not ordinarily do if you didn't ask. So, you know, if you don't ask your child to clean their room, they probably won't do it. If you don't ask for the sale, you probably won't get it if you don't ask for the job. So it really comes down to then how do we make that ask? And we don't have to rely on art. We can actually fall back on the science because we've already established this is powerful because it's based on scientific research. So I'd like to twist the definition just slightly and say uh, that persuasion is the science of getting someone to do something that they wouldn't ordinarily do if you didn't ask. And what are, what are some of the examples that, that you like to, to go to on that side of it? In terms of the, per, the science of like? persuasion. Well, it's, it's always situational in terms of, um, there are some times where engaging a, a particular principle, let's say liking, uh, where it's not going to mean anything to somebody. Uh, and, I, and I think especially when you understand personalities and if you're interacting with a driver-type personality, he or she may not care about being your friend. Now, you never want to be impolite, but you don't want to spend much time at all trying to connect with that person because that's not their currency and they're probably not going to respond to it. If you're dealing with a different type of person, maybe an expressive individual, they probably do want to get to know you before they get down to business. So it's not a one-size-fits-all. The, the type of individual you're interacting with and the situation that you find yourself in will quite often dictate which principle or principles you want to use. And that's where you really have to have this stuff in the core. You really need to, you don't want to have a technique because when you find yourself in situations where techniques don't work, you're dead in the water. But when you understand the principles at their core, you have all kinds of options of how you may interact with people then. And let's just make this point here, because as an audience, we, we talk a lot uh, about um, self-awareness, uh, self-growth. So we, we discuss disc profiles on here. We discuss the 12 driving forces on here, uh, emotional uh, intelligence. And so really, you know, if you look at, at mirroring uh, DISC with something like persuasion, it's, you know, how you communicate, but also how they want to be communicated with. So in a way, you're engaging in a level of persuasion once you meet them where they are. Is that fair to say? Exactly. Exactly. In fact, I was just in California a couple of weeks ago and filmed a course for LinkedIn Learning, and it's on persuading different personality styles. So this was something that I came up with, but I had done a survey with my blog readers and, and ask them to, to read these different uh, personality descriptions and then self-identify. And, and then I was able to segment them out, and I gave them all the same questions. And then we could clearly see that there were differences between dealing with a driver, an expressive, an amiable, or a logical person. And I like to use an acronym for that, too. If you didn't catch that, it's spelled DEAL. And, and I say because we deal with people, and in sales, we try to close deals. But it was very clear that you want to interact with, with those people differently. And so if, if that's done right, uh, not only just understanding how to interact, but how to persuade as well, and really you can see the layers forming here. 
But if you've done that right, then this persuasion can have a lasting impact, which is the L and PLE. So how does that happen? Well, when we interact with somebody and they begin to change their behavior, quite often it can take on a life of its own. So here's a personal example. When I was in college, I was the president of the weightlifting club at Miami University for three years. I, I was all in. I was a powerlifter, got out of college, was a competitive bodybuilder. I loved the gym and I hated running. Well, I stopped competing and wasn't in nearly as good a shape as I had been. And a friend who's a fitness trainer persuaded a number of us to run the Columbus Marathon. And at first, I didn't want to do it because I never really enjoyed running. But I, I relented, and my wife said she was going to do it too. So I all started running, and I fell in love with it. And all of a sudden, I'm getting in 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons. I ended up running half a dozen marathons. I got to run the Boston Marathon, and, and I loved it. But something interesting happened along the way. My friend never had to persuade me to run again. Because once I fell in love with it, once I started doing it and realized I liked it, it took on a life of its own. And so now, here I am all these years later, and if I have to make a choice of what I'm going to do in the morning, run or lift, as much as I loved lifting and competing and everything, I go run. My self-identity changed. I see myself as a runner. I just do what runners do. And I think sometimes when you interact with people, uh, as an example, maybe you have a child that struggles in school, you get them to study and they get their first A, and they like how that feels, and they want to feel that again, and before you know it, they've got the habits of smart, a smart kid, and they see themselves as smart, and they keep doing what smart kids do. Now, it doesn't happen all the time, but if it's done right, and, and the reward is right in terms of what their behavior was, it can take on a lasting impact, and the beautiful thing about that is then you don't have to go back to the well time and time again and keep persuading them. And talk about that for a second, though, in the, in the keeping of persuading things. Is it that you're persuading incorrectly because it's not lasting? Or you know, what do you see in, in why it may not stick? Well, it, it may not stick in that, you know, I could, have run the, I could have run that first marathon and just not enjoyed running. You know, that, that just may have been a, a personal thing for me. Or, you know, somebody could go out and do it and say, gosh, it just hurts my shins. And so all of a sudden they don't want to do that anymore. Um, maybe... Uh, somebody doesn't take on lifelong learning habits just because they got an A because all they really cared about deep down was getting through school so they could get a job. So there's a lot of factors that will come in for each individual and how they feel about themselves and what it is that they're doing. But, but there are many times where somebody takes a step into a new arena. Maybe they support a cause. They start to learn more about the cause. They think that it's a good cause. They become an advocate for it. And all of a sudden, they're volunteering and they're not having to be asked. They're just stepping up to the plate. So it, it can certainly happen. And I don't think that just because somebody doesn't change forever that you did something wrong, what they're doing just may not have as much value to them as you might have thought it would. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. So we talked about this a little bit, but let's, let's expand about it. Uh, expand on it a little bit further as well. So what, what is that difference between manipulation and ethical influence? Okay. Um, let me share with you a quote that I quite often use. It's from a book called The Art of Woo, which means winning others over. And it goes like this. An earnest and sincere lover buys flowers and candy for the object of his affections. So does the cad who only seeks to take advantage of another's heart. But when the cad succeeds... We don't blame the flowers and the candy. We rightly question his character. Flowers and candy are, are neither good nor bad. They can be used for good, you know, a romantic date. They can also have negative connotations. Maybe you see them at a funeral. But the flowers and candy themselves are, are neutral objects. These principles of influence that we talk about are neither good nor bad. They're neutral. They simply describe how people typically think and behave. What really reveals our character is ultimately how we use them. And, and that's where the rubber meets the road. Will somebody use them in a way that, as I said earlier, will benefit the other person? Will they be truthful in how they're interacting with that individual? And will they limit their use of these principles to the situations where they're naturally available and not try to force them in because they want so much for that person to, 
buy the car, sign the contract, or do whatever they want. That's where you're starting to cross the line into the manipulative. And nobody really, I love your example in the first segment too, nobody wants to feel manipulated. Nobody wants to to feel that way. And I'll tell you, you know, one of the examples I see around artificial scarcities is what I coined the term, um, is uh, like when you go onto a website to order a product and you get the initial order page. Well, then if you click, no, I don't want it, then they go, wait a minute, we'll, we'll give it to you for half price. And the first thing that goes through my mind when that happens is, wait a minute. So if I'm the sucker that just paid right out of the, <laughs> right out of the gate, then I'm not necessarily getting the best deal. And, and that, that leaves a sour taste in my mouth, if that makes sense. It, it's, I understand the tactic behind it, but it's not a truthful tactic to me. If that's the price, it's the price. Let's just offer it to everybody and, and maybe your sales will go up. Uh, so right. to me, it made, made me feel like they're trying to take more money than maybe they should have. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I mean, I'm all for start high and, and if you need to, you know, make some reductions, you do that, but there should also be a reduction in value. Uh, the world that I came from in insurance, I had always encouraged insurance agents, it's not about making the sale. It's about offering the protection package that is that meets the needs of that customer. Not everybody needs an umbrella policy. A lot of people do. If you put an, a package together and you and you put that on the table and somebody goes, boy, that's, that's a lot more than we're paying right now, that agent might say, well, you know, right now you don't have an umbrella policy. And we could take that out and it's going to reduce your price here. You're still better off because you've got higher underlying limits on your home and your auto. That's ethical because, yes, you've reduced the price, but you've also taken something away, but they're still better off than they were before they came to you. So it's not just an arbitrary, well, here, let me cut the price 20% so you'll buy it. Because then... Again, I think people would feel like, gosh, if I hadn't spoken up, I'd be paying 20% too much. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a great example of, of the manipulation that we're talking about beyond just understanding what the, the techniques are and getting somebody to say yes um, without, uh, without the ethics behind it. Yeah. Um, we're going to take well, our I, final break right here. We've got one more segment with Brian when we come back, and we'll be asking the question we ask all of our guests as well as getting his contact information. That'll be right up after the break. You're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the final segment of the Work-Life Balance this Friday afternoon. Been spending the day with Brian Ahern, who's the Chief Influence Officer at Influence People, and going through his acronym, which is Powerful Everyday Opportunities to Persuade that are Lasting and Ethical. So, Brian, one of the questions we love to ask all of our guests is, is what is some of the best advice you've ever received? Well, when I 
think about that. I, I remember when I was in college, getting ready to go to college, um, my dad served in the Marines. And uh, so you can just leave it to your imagination about how I was raised. <laughs> and when, when I went off to college, he said, treat this like a business. Do all your work, you know, take, take morning classes, study after class, and you can have as much fun as you want to at night. And I, I took that to heart. And I, I was somebody who would get up early and go to class, and then I would spend my time studying in the afternoon. And after I got done with dinner, what I wanted to do was work out. And so for two hours every night, I'd go work out and then relax and go to bed. I rarely ever studied in the evening, never did all-nighters. But it was just because he instilled in me that discipline to get the get the things done that need to be done, and then you can go off and do whatever it is that you want to do. Um, and that's, that's really served me well through my whole life to uh, prioritize things, do the important things, and then I can relax and enjoy other things. I don't have uh, issues and, and whatnot hanging over my head. Uh, that's great advice. What about, uh, is there any other uh, items you'd like to cover with the audience before we wrap up today? Um, you know, on the heels of what we talked about with the ethical, um, I had mentioned to you as we chatted a little bit on break that I think when people really start laying hold of these principles, and in particular the principle of liking, that people are more likely to say yes to you if they like you. It's not, though, about trying to get someone to like you. It's not about me trying to get you, Rick, to like me. What I really want to focus on is using all the psychology to come to like you. And that's a game changer because when you start to see that I really do like you, you're far more open to whatever I may ask of you. But more importantly, when I come to like you, I would never want to take advantage of my friends. And that's, I think, a, a huge thing that takes uh, manipulation off of the table. If people really lay hold of this, I want to like the people that I work with, the people that I serve, the customers that I interact with. I'm going to do what I can to get to know them, connect with them, compliment them, not in a false way, but in a way that makes me say, you know what? It's a really nice life when you can say, I really enjoy the people that I work with and I serve. That's a, that's a big aha moment for most people. Yeah, and to relate that in the service of people is something I, I said I stumbled on a couple of things uh, as I was going through training that I had just naturally done. I just thought it was the right thing to do. And then you find out the science behind it, but was to, as I used to uh, teach servers and, and people that, that wait tables, two things. One, that um, everybody is your best friend. You need, to, you need to treat them as if your best friend was sitting at that table because um, you would go out of the way. You would want to make sure they had the best service. And the second thing is that they're not just measuring your service uh, against the standard norm of 15%, which is what most people think uh, you know, is, is an acceptable tip. They're measuring you against every server they've ever had in any restaurant and every experience. And so mm-hmm. what are you going to do that's going to be above that in a genuine way in order to earn the respect that, that you deserve as a server? So those are – yeah, and, and go ahead and comment on that if you like. I think – I think, you know, if you're in a business like that of serving and you have a genuine heart that says, I want the people who come in here to have a fabulous night, because you know, Rick, because when when you've gone out to dinner, I know this too, we can go and eat the same meal, but but the ambiance of the place where you are, the interaction that you have with the server, they can make or break that night. And it's really, really nice when you have somebody who not only gives you the prompt service, but, but has enough sense to see... Do you want to be left alone? Do you want to uh, interact? Do you want to laugh a little bit? They, they can read that, and, and they do that because they want you to have that great experience. But that also makes them feel good, too. And I think the principles that you talk about, Brian, are applicable in any industry. You know, I've talked about project management. You talked about insurance. We just talked about waiting tables. But there's really not a profession on this planet that can't be uh, enhanced by utilizing these principles. Totally agree. Totally agree. Because when, whenever you're interacting with people, it's it's all about psychology. Absolutely. So how do people get in touch with you, Brian? Well, a uh, couple ways. If people want to connect with me on LinkedIn, I'm always happy to do that. If they don't put a message about why they're reaching out to connect with me, then they can expect they'll get a, a message back to say, thank you for connecting. How did you find me? I just like to know why people are reaching out. Um, my website, which is influencepeople.biz, 
uh, has all kinds of information. I've got videos uh, where I've been guests on podcasts. I've been blogging uh, for the last 10 years every single week. So there's a wealth of information out there that people can also find my contact information. Outstanding. And any other final words? Um, I hope that people who are listening enjoyed this. And if they did, I would be very appreciative if you went out and bought my book. It dives deeper into this. It's all about the practical application. It doesn't get too heady with the science, but it gives real-world examples at, and for personal, for business. It looks at some business case studies. And I, I think it's very readable where people could go, oh, that makes sense. I get it. Well, we appreciate you spending some time with us, Brian, on uh, on a Friday afternoon, nonetheless, and, and getting your message out there to the audience. Well, it's my pleasure. I really appreciate you having me on, Rick. Absolutely. So coming up next week, we're going to be right back here at the same time, same channel, hanging out, uh, talking about uh, really whatever comes to mind uh, next Friday. So we're going to have an open show uh, just to uh, visit with the audience, talk about uh, the latest uh, research that we're going through here at our squared uh, and uh, most likely we'll end up talking about uh, robotic process automation, which uh, is, a, is a technology we're getting really excited about um, in the sense that uh, it's the first technology or emerging technology I've really worked with that you can see a payback period in about six months. So uh, we'll be discussing that uh, on next week's show. The week after that, again, uh, for our Maxwell Lights or anybody who's joining us is the International Maxwell Certification Uh, That actually goes the 23rd through the 26th. We'll be out there the 21st through the 28th in Orlando. Uh, So always reach out to us. Let us know that you're around. We'd love to hang out with you guys and and see you. Uh, And then coming back, um, we'll actually end up doing a replay uh, on the 30th because that's our annual trip to Megacon. So on the 6th is uh, when we'll come back and do the recap of, of the Maxwell event. Until then, we love you guys. Thank you so much. Continue to reach out at Rick A. Morris or rick at rickamorris.com. You can also hit me up at rmorris at rsquareconsulting.com. And until next Friday, we will, uh, we will talk to you guys soon, and we hope that you live your own work-life balance. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show.